Hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm Sarah Buino. I'm your host. And if this is your first time joining us, hello and welcome. We love to have you here. We love new people. So thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, we are a podcast where I have conversations with people in healing professions about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. If this is not your first time here, I would love, 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 love and be so indebted to you forever if you would be so willing to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. It actually does help. I mean, it doesn't get me any money or anything, but it it shows people that this is a legit show that people legit listen to. And I would be ever so grateful. So thank you so much if you would consider doing that. Before we get to today's guest, I wanted to tell you about this podcast I've been listening to. I'm looking it up on my phone right now. And I guess on the surface, it doesn't have to do with healing, but I actually think it has quite a bit to do with healing and a lot of the content that we talk about on the show. It's called In the Dark, and it's an investigative sort of true crime podcast, but with a twist. The first season is about the disappearance of a little boy in, I think it was somewhere outside of Minneapolis. And basically the, hmm, what's the good word to use? The shoddy police work, I guess, that was done by the police in that area. And essentially, it's really shining a light on the systems that we just kind of inherently trust and questions a lot of their methods and their modes of investigating. And I don't know, there's some information in there that I think is pretty important in terms of looking at larger systems and how they how we interact with them. And then the second season, I'm almost, well, I'm at what they thought was initially the end, but I see there's like 10 more episodes left. And it's about a black man in Mississippi who was tried for a crime six times. And it's all about the, again, like the ineptitude of the people who are trying to prosecute him, the racism and the legal system. It's absolutely fascinating. And it's interesting when I think about how this relates to healing is In my own personal journey, for the longest time, I've said I only do individual work because I truthfully couldn't tolerate thinking from a macro perspective because I just put so much pressure on myself to need to be the one to fix it. And as I've moved through my healing journey over the past several years, I've become I've really grown in my capacity to be able to look at these larger systemic issues, which is why you've heard the content kind of shifting right to a lot of stuff we talk about is more more system stuff. So if you like anything about true crime, whatever, if you're interested in, you know, system change and wanting things to happen in in that realm, I would definitely recommend In the Dark. I don't get paid for it. They don't even know who I am. I just really love it. And so I'm just sharing it with you personally. So now to today's guest. Today's guest is Ebony Rutko. Ebony is a white, queer, cis female clinical social worker located in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory in Canada. She owns a private practice and provides in-person and remote therapy to adults using the neuroaffective relational model. Ebony believes in the power of connection and that true healing happens when we cultivate greater capacity to hold ourselves with presence and curiosity. So please enjoy my lovely, deep, soulful conversation with Ebony. Ebony! Hey, Sarah. I'm so happy you're here. It's great to see you again. It's great to be together. I know. There was something about you in the NARM training that I was just like always drawn to you, like just the way that you 
would say things and ask questions. And so I'm so glad that we've gotten to continue our relationship, even though who knows the next time we'll be in the same city. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thanks. Right? For, thanks for saying that, Sarah. Yeah, it's nice to be together and, and just to see you. And I was, it was hard because, you know, for our fourth module, we weren't able to connect mm-hmm. in person. And so it's just nice to maintain this connection with you for sure. Yeah. Well, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people who you are and what you do? Sure. My name's Ebony and I live in Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory in Canada. We recently moved here about a year ago from Iqaluit in Nunavut, which is also another Northern Territory, but it's in the East. And we're in the West now. Mm. Oh, right. Because you were like, you were Eastern time. Now I get it. I didn't realize you moved. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah. we moved right across the country. (laughs) So way West. Wow. Yeah. And so my background has been primarily in community outpatient mental health. I graduated in 2010. And then I, with my master's degree, and have been in community outpatient mental health and then recently started my own private practice in January. And that's something I really wanted to do and had a lot of fear around it and was like, okay, this just seemed like a a new opportunity. And it's funny how just things kind of fall into place sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was the opportunity. I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And it's scary and I'm still scared. But I'm just moving forward in the best way that I can and just really trusting that, you know, it's going to kind of go how it's going to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, how does it feel like it's going so far? It's going all right. You know, <laughs> I didn't know about search engine optimization. Oh, my it's God. A thing. It's a thing. Yeah. So it's been and it's been hard to try to find support to to get that part of my website up and running. So I've been really lucky with the contracts that I've had and just doing a little bit of consulting on the side. So but it's starting. Yeah, it's starting to pick up, which is really cool. And I've been really enjoying it. I love staying at home. (laughs) I'm like such a homebody. And I really can see that. (laughs) Oh, I just, you know, and I mean, it's important for me to get out and where we live now, there's mountains and there's trees, like just like, right outside Mm. our door. And so it's like, I get out a lot and and I need to be out in nature, but I love working from home. It's just been so great. I miss social relationships though, for sure. This pandemic has been, I was all right the first few months and then I'm like, oh, I just crave social connection and contact. And so I'm just, I just love being able to sit here with you right now, you know, and just reconnect. And it's just so nice. I enjoy these times. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear, because I have no idea how you became a therapist, why you became a therapist, Ebony's origin story. I'm into it. Tell me everything. I think we'll need more than an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then Uh, not everything. Like, summarize it then. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the Coles Notes version. You know, I really struggled in my adolescence. I had a really rough go. And there was a counselor that I saw just at a local community agency in the very small town that we lived in. And she just showed up in a way that was so profound and and just respectful for where I was at. And I just really felt seen, which for me, I I have a lot of connection style struggles. And, you know, I, I really struggle with that. Being seen, there's part of it that feels very good, but there's also part of it that's very scary for me. And kind of that, you know, that core dilemma piece, right? But her presence really shifted and changed so many things for me at that age. And so, you know, when I graduated from high school, I'm like, oh, I'd like to 
you know, learn more about the field or kind of get into that. And so I, I got in and I did my bachelor in social work and then I did my master's degree and reflecting back from where I am now, it's, you know, and as I do my own work, I can really see just the depths of what was driving that decision for me. Mm-hmm. And there's a yearning for my own healing mm-hmm. in that, but there's a yearning for my, this capacity for my own presence and to be present in my own heart when I'm with someone else and to be in the fullness of my heart and to be present within myself and to hold myself and my own energies and, and, you know, my own healing, but also can sort of identify this yearning to be there in the same way for someone else as they're doing their own healing. It just really feels like really, really sacred work. When I'm able to show up with the fullness of my heart, oh, I feel like goosebumps and tears. Like it really, it really feels sacred and incredibly meaningful. And again, this core dilemma, right? With the the connection style kind of. And do you want to unpack that since our listeners aren't all trained in NARM? You know, Dr. Lawrence Heller and Elaine LaPierre have the book Healing Developmental Trauma. And even with the NARM training and the way that they sort of conceptualize this really earliest form of these adaptive survival strategies is like when I show up in the world, it's not safe for me to be connected to myself. It doesn't feel safe for me to be connected to myself or to others. And there can be numerous and multiple origins and stories of where that that comes from. But that's really that just this dilemma of like, can I show up and even the, can I allow and permit myself even to exist? Like it's really down to kind of the the core level of the taking up space on this planet, the essence of my existence and being connected to myself, to my body, to my emotions, to my heart, but also that capacity to be connected with other people. And so the connection style struggle, at some point that didn't feel safe to do that. And so the strategy is to disconnect. And then we're left, or I can speak from my experience, I'm left with this dilemma of yearning and feeling so touched by these moments of being able to connect and to be present and connected within myself and connected with other people. But simultaneously, there's a fear in that. And that's really the strategy of it. So then there's, you know, it's not okay to take up space or it's not okay to connect or, you know, with myself or with others. And through my work, it's this starting to expand into states of connectedness and being with my own heart. And then there can also be contractions around that where it's like something in me is like, whoa, like something that doesn't feel safe about that. And so anyway, that's kind of the connection style conundrum mm-hmm. <laughs> or dilemma that's really as I deepen in this work and really has been so fulfilling to explore deeper within myself, but also very challenging, very challenging. Yeah. You know, Sarah, the more I get into it, the more that I can see so clearly my own connectedness and really being able to hold energetic states in my heart and having that capacity to my presence and my ability to show up as a therapist. And that's been incredibly meaningful and very rewarding work, but very, very hard too at the same time, you know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely got into this work because I knew I needed to figure out what the fuck happened to me. And I feel like the coupling of, because I don't think 
just because I'm such an asshole in therapy, I won't like it's super autonomy stuff. So always getting in power struggles. Like I won't submit to the therapy unless I know what's going on. (laughs) So I don't think I would have received it if I were just an ARM client. But the coupling of learning NARM as a therapist and being a NARM client, everything you're talking about in terms of that connection to presence and like the depth. Oh, the depth. (laughs) And I feel like that's what NARM has given me too, is just this framework, which to hold myself and to understand, because usually when I would like sabotage something like, you know, engage in different like self-sabotage things. There was a lot of self-hatred that I would direct towards myself because I didn't understand what was going on or why I was doing that or why I was shutting myself off or closing my heart to certain things. And that felt so enriching and that felt so good. And I feel like this healing journey that I've been doing with NARM and even learning about NARM, I can hold that now for myself Mm-hmm. with so much more compassion because I know now that at some point it made sense to do that yeah. for me. And that really, at some point, really helped me and saved me. But I'm still I'm still drawing on that. I'm still using that. But just the knowing and even the, and there've been so many examples of this in NARM, even being able to hold that understanding has been so profound in my healing journey. And then simultaneously, I'm able to hold that too for the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. And that's been incredibly helpful just mm-hmm. to understand that what we most want can sometimes be what we most fear. Right. Because that's the, I think when it makes sense, it's so much easier to give compassion. I yeah. see clients all the time being like, it doesn't make sense that I'm doing this. And I'm like, yes, it does. And here's how, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the wisdom of that. And I'm still on this journey because I still have a lot of, you know, ways that I... Oh, you're not fixed? (laughs) Oh, well, I don't want to talk to you if you're not fixed. Come back to me when you're fixed. Oh, God, what a journey. (laughs) Like, and it just feels like this never ending kind of journey that the more that I discover, the more, the deeper that I encounter myself and and my own heart, but there's always more, there's always more levels. And yeah, it's incredible. A quick note for listeners about our upcoming webinar from Head Heart Therapy. Head Heart Conversations is a webinar series for psychotherapists designed to invite your inner healer to the forefront of your personal and professional life. At Head Heart Therapy, we approach healing from the inside out. We believe that in order to offer the best care to our clients, we therapists must do our inner work as well. At this point in history, we're called to move beyond the old ways of being and courageously step into a new paradigm. Therapists are poised to support our clients' transformation, but we must also transform ourselves. In this four-part series, we'll encourage participants to learn about themselves as well as enhance their clinical skills. Our third webinar is coming up on Friday, September 17th, and it's called Body Language. HeadHeart's clinical manager, Joanna Taubeneck, will delve into the use of body and movement in the healing process, and participants will practice basic yet impactful ways of mindfully and compassionately relating to our bodies while deepening our understanding of how to use these skills in session with our clients. And as a special thank you to Conversations with the Wounded Healer listeners, you can get $20 off your order by using the code PODCAST when you register. For more information and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash hhconvos. One of the things that I bump up against 
And it's not even, I say that to make it sound like it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But sometimes when Larry Heller is speaking, like I've gotten to interview him several times. And in my own therapy, I come up against this, like, there is no language for what I'm experiencing Mm. right now. And to me, that feels like soul work and or like really early pre-verbal stuff that's shifting. Do you find that where you are right now feels like we're close to that space is like, we're going to have no words. And then it's going to be a really boring podcast because we're both going to no. be like, Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because it does transcend mm-hmm. into the spiritual realm. And I feel like I have a lot of strategies that I've used to keep myself safe, to protect myself. But the more exploration that I do, and it's really made a difference for me to have someone who can hold that space and hold that energy without trying mm-hmm. to shift or to fix or to mm-hmm. you know, to move on, but really allow and to permit this like spaciousness around that. It's like real unconditional love. Oh my God, it totally is. This is such a beautiful piece, I think, about therapy. And what we get to do is that that space has been held for me. And then I internalize that in a way and I'm able to start to be able to hold space for myself in that way. And then as I internalize that capacity, the people that I work with, I start to be able to hold space in that way for other people. It's really, again, I just feel the same thing. Like it's like those goosebumps because it's so sacred. You know, the interesting piece for me is, you know, it was, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago that I was like walking in nature and I could feel my heart open. I have just Mm. this connection with nature that's very spiritual. And I could feel my heart open to the abundance of what was there. And simultaneously, there was this clenching around my heart that was like, you're going to lose this. Mm. Or like, there's something that's not okay about just Mm. literally being brought to tears by just like this opening in this abundance and really being able to take that in. I just got a full body chill right there. (laughs) That's what happened. I just fucking shivered. (laughs) (laughs) You brought me shivers. Well done. Keep going. Oh, it was. And I feel that too, because in that moment, and maybe this is what this is all about. This is where I, this is the edge of what I'm exploring is that there's one thing from NARM that I took off of a, a slide. And if it's okay, I'd like to read it because it felt so, so important. Yeah. So as we open our hearts, we must learn to sit with and accept the real possibility of heartbreak at any moment. Even though, you know, that wasn't in a relationship or an interpersonal relationship or interaction, it was a profound me allowing myself to open my heart to abundance and to richness and to be nourished by that. And then simultaneously, there's this like gripping contraction around that of like, oh, these strategies come up within me. That's like, holy shit, this isn't safe. Like it just literally feels Mm -hmm. like I can't, you know, and sometimes my heart kind of shuts down or, but they're in that moment. It was like, I'm growing and increasing into my capacity to have this like tolerance to open my heart to both at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly what I was hearing. Yep. If that's not spiritual, I don't know what is. Because when my heart shuts down from that, I can't feel it anymore. 
And that I believe this is the way, you know, that nature can really become like an object because, you know, if we're disconnected from our own hearts, it's easy to objectify people, other people or things or whatever. And this is the journey that I feel like I'm on with this deep heart connection with myself and finding and rediscovering that. <laughs> but then also developing this capacity to, to hold and contain what's on the other side of that. And because I have this feeling and maybe I've experienced it, maybe in that moment I was experiencing it, the richness of what's beyond that. And I truly believe that that's part of post-traumatic growth. And I truly believe that that's on a spiritual plane, for sure, because that experience was so subtle and so in my heart and so powerful. But yeah, so it's, it's this journey of really being able to take in and to be nourished by richness and abundance and to feel safe in my connection with myself, to occupy space, to be able to receive that. And then I feel this in the connection with you, like to be able to share these like heart connection and conversations with other people. There's always the, the beautiful abundance and then there's always the other side of it too. And if we can hold the complexity of, of both, there's something that's so powerful and rich that's beyond that. Yeah. What is your spiritual orientation? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've done Vipassana a lot. Mm -hmm. And I've done ayahuasca. <gasps> um, we could talk about that. Mm. I've been doing ketamine, ketamine treatments. Yeah, that's what you were saying. So, I, I mean, I don't know. And I've thought about this a lot because I fear death. There's a lot. And it was so interesting that Larry... I think it was in the inner circle that he said, there's so many things that we project onto this notion or experience of death. Mm. And I do that. Mm. And I've really come to a place where I'm like, I don't even know. All I know is the truth of my heart and what my heart experiences. And, and I know from experiences with Vipassana and with experiences that I've had with, with ayahuasca that there is something beyond here. There is something deeply intricate and deeply loving that's holding us. Yes. And, right? and a connectedness. And I've felt this, this, particularly with ayahuasca, this connectedness with everything that is and everything that has been. Yes. Like I, I had a, I, on this one journey, this vision of as I was traveling and going through my journey and kind of seeing myself, starting to see myself more clearly, it was all being held by my ancestors. Oh. And that was incredibly powerful to feel that. Mm. And it's so easy for my heart to be disconnected from that or to, to get mm -hmm. disconnected from that, that wisdom. And so I've found the experience of plant medicines really helpful. And I know some people have had not so great experiences. and It's not for everyone. Yeah, it isn't for everyone. And, and I know that I also need to continue on my own therapy and doing my own work. Mm -hmm. But it's my experience that has really helped me to experience that realm, to see it, and to see my own healing happening on a molecular level yes. in my tissue as right? it was happening was so powerful. And to know that this network of ancestors and everything that is in the universe, you know, supporting me. And this leads right back to Larry's book because this, this is part of how I make sense of it. This drive and this movement towards connection, health, and aliveness is organic. 
And I just think when we can meet ourselves and meet each other just as we are, there is that spontaneous movement towards that. Anyway, that's what I connected with so deeply on that one journey when I when I did ayahuasca. And that was so helpful because I turned back to that, you know, in moments where things are a little bit chaotic or I'm feeling, you know, like, what are we doing here? Asking these really big questions to return to that and feel into that because that's really helpful because it even though I don't know what's going on and I don't really hold myself to any beliefs about that, that feels deeply true in my heart. And then when I can open my heart to that and, and listen to that, that feels really real for me. Mm-hmm. In any of your journeys, did you get an answer to that question? What are we here for? What are we doing here? No, you know, and I found that, that with ayahuasca, <laughs> the very first time that I did it, I was like, oh, like, this is what it's going to be like. And it's going to be, you know, amazing. And I have all these intentions and questions. And, and it's, it was my experience that it doesn't work like that, that there's an intuitive wisdom of the plant medicine. And that mm-hmm. rather than setting an agenda, it was just about me surrendering and trusting. And the moment that I stopped fighting against it, mm. then I started having visions and being shown Yeah, it's interesting because it was a surrender. It was surrendering Mm. to being shown rather than trying to make it about something. And part of (laughs) part of it felt so big that it felt like that I was given this kind of titrated little itty bitty piece of it to understand it would probably would have blown my brain apart. All of it. That is the thing that keeps coming to me is the limits of the human brain. Yeah. Like I feel like psychedelics just peel back a tiny layer so that you can expand more into what is, but our brains just, the message I keep getting is like, you silly humans, you're so cute. You can't get it. You dummies quit trying. Just but be. in such a such a loving way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That was, that was my experience of like, it's okay that you don't get this or understand it, but here's just a little bit. Yeah. Here's how. Yes. It's almost like, you know, you've been feeling like you're a speck kind of floating around in this like meaningless world or whatever. Here's a little piece to show you what's really here. In reality, maybe that's not realistic at all, or maybe that's not really what's going on or what happens or... We're not in reality here. That's what I'm also realizing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's this is so like... true. It's oh. such, and this is so fucking trippy, right? But this yeah. is like... <sighs> I'm trying to like, again, put words around something that feels wordless. It mm. just feels like a knowing that's come from this is is like, this doesn't matter, but not in a nihilistic sort of way in a, it just is. So everything's okay. Like no matter what you do in this lifetime, in this earthly body, it's okay because it's just like, the tiniest fraction of what is going on in all of it. I don't even know what to, because the universe doesn't even feel big enough. Yeah, it does feel, and it did feel so huge and that I could kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of take in just a, just a little piece of that. And that, you know, in this journey, and even as I do my own therapy, the more I see myself clearly, the more I realize that I am not all of these things that I have convinced myself that Mm. I have had to be then just like they talk about in the NARM training is that this opens up to the question of like, well, then if I'm not all of these things, then who am I? 
You're infinite, baby. <laughs> but that's right. that's deep because as you start to yeah, as you start to you know peel away and start to see ourselves more clearly and open our hearts to ourselves separate from these strategies that we've used to survive and keep ourselves safe. The expansion, and it makes sense why it's so important for therapy to be titrated because the expansion mm-hmm. into that needs to be titrated because mm-hmm. I would literally blow apart yeah. if my body, or even if the, the spirit of the ayahuasca plant gave that to me all at once, I would just be obliterated. Yeah, it really needs yeah. to be titrated. It really is like an, a, a fear of annihilation because that's real. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And it's interesting that just how deep this work gets. Right. Well, this line of conversation begs the question, do you consider yourself a healer? Mm. I think for me, more than seeing myself as like a healer, because I, I don't think that I possess any special type of quality to like bring something to someone that's going to change them. Untrue, but go on. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. False. But- <laughs> You know, I see myself more as trying to find the place within my own heart, the quiet place to be able to hold myself, that I can be a a witness or so that I can listen deeply. And then out of that, I think there's potential for healing, but I don't see myself bringing something separate because I truly believe, and this has been my experience with my own healing, that my own body and my own being organically moves towards and has moved me towards connection and aliveness. And it's been in the space that's been held for me. It's been in how the presence has been held for me. It's been in how people have listened to me and witnessed what was organically emerging within me. And I would say like, maybe not a healer, but like a, someone that's trying to, I don't know, develop these qualities of deep listening deep presence to witness the organic emergence of something. That's a beautiful quote right there. But what I was thinking is, I think what you bring to any relationship does create space for change just because of who you are and how you move through the world. So you don't have to be trying to heal someone to heal them. I'm of the belief system that we are all healers and some of us in this lifetime tap into that gift and some of us don't. So that's the way I I frame it, that you are a healer, I'm a healer, everybody is. Mm. And to be responsible with that gift means to take a backseat, right? And to not try to change someone and fix and and heal, right? Because I think the danger is someone calling themselves a healer and then manipulating someone, whether it's psychically, emotionally, physically, right? Any of it. Because you're talking about trying. And I noticed the moment I start, I start trying. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) It's like when I lose connection with my own heart. But yeah, I see where you're coming from with that. And I love that. And I feel like this is a and this feels really sacred to me too. I feel like it's a great responsibility mm-hmm. and not something that I take lightly because it's very sacred sharing this space and knowing how vulnerable that I've been in, in my own individual therapy, holding that sacred space for myself while holding it for others. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do mm-hmm. notice that, you know, when I start trying or when I start having an agenda or start efforting to make things happen, 
I lose that connection, you know, with my own heart. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? Yeah. You know, as I continue to do my own work and as I see myself more clearly, as I encounter those wounds and as I face all of the complexity and the feelings and the states and the whatever might be going in my on in my body related to that, my mind goes back to like just this capacity to hold energy and experiences and, and my own reality. And then it's like when I'm when I'm able to do that, it isn't a wound anymore. It turns into something different. Something mm. that helps me to connect on a deeper level that I never knew was possible. Or that allows me to feel more alive and more resilient in my life. And so it's like from the wound, as I stop running from it and as I embrace it and I develop this capacity to hold all of the complexity with it, it it transcends into something. And again, this is just back to the spiritual, right? Like that's so Mm -hmm. rich and allows me to be in life in a more open-hearted and in a way that feels more aligned with all of who I am rather than all of these strategies mm-hmm. and all of these things that I've convinced myself that I am. So it's like from the wound, mm-hmm. it just transcends into something so different. So I think it's an interesting term and I definitely recognize that I still carry my own wounds, but then as I continue to do my own work, they turn into something that's so different. That's really awesome. It's been just this whole journey with NARM and the people that I've encountered on my journey that have helped me and continue to hold space for me, you know, with these connection style themes that I struggle with a lot of the time, it's, it's hard to take in the fullness of all of that sometimes, but it's just been such an incredible journey. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so thankful for this part of me that's, that's driving me towards this type and this level of healing and connection. And it's very sacred work. You're a very special spirit. You know that, right? Thanks, Sarah. I feel the same about you. Thank you. I just feel so, yeah, so grateful to be able to share this heart space in a way that, because I feel like my heart's really open to the abundance that's here in this moment. And that feels really tender. And so Mm -hmm. it just feels really nice to share the space with you and to even share this with other people that might be listening as well. Mm -hmm. It's the sacred process of how we have someone show up for us and be present and then how we cultivate that within ourselves and then how we help each other along on the journey and all of that just feels, mm-hmm. and this feels like part of that it feels really sacred I feel like we're sisters and that we've grown up together that's like the energy that it feels like yeah I feel that deep connection yeah like we were different people before we started NARM I think I was totally and I just think back to that you know NARM has just provided such incredible healing for me but just that one of the most powerful things has been that framework to really understand deeply what's going on and that the wisdom of what I once hated about myself. Mm-hmm. That's so different. Well, this feels like a good place to wrap up. Do you want to share with listeners where they can find out more about you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my website is pretty much all I have going right now. It's www.bodymatterspsychotherapy.ca. So B-O-D-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R-S, psychotherapy.ca. Amazing. Well, I love you very deeply. Love sharing space with you. So happy that you agreed to do this. 
And I can't wait to talk more later. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, let's definitely stay connected. Thanks so much to Ebony for being an amazing guest today. If you want to learn more about Ebony, you can find out about her and her work on our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.